Hi there, Dickens Olewe here. Thanks for checking in. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, and elections. With my guest, we'll explore the challenges and ideas of how journalism can support, not undermine democracy. So look out for the other interviews on your podcast feed. Let me know what you think about this series. Okay, here's the pod. Enjoy. Moki Makura is the executive director of Africa No Filter. I started our interview by asking her to tell me a little bit more about the initiative. So Africa No Filter was actually a project of the Ford Foundation and it was started, you know, I think about two years ago, but they soon realized that the mission and its ambition was bigger than one foundation and its mission was to try and shift harmful, stereotypical narratives that persist about Africa. Um, so they turned it into what we call a donor collaborative and they invited a number of other funders. So right now I have eight funders from British Council to Comic Relief in the UK to Luminate um, and you know Ford as being the big, big funder, Open Society, the Mellon Foundation, yeah, and Hilton Foundation. So the, the, there's a lot of funders who are you know, invested in shifting narratives. And I think the huge motive for that is because these organizations have been funding programs and trying to, you know, alleviate poverty and create social change on the continent for years. But yet the news that comes out of the continent, the stories that we consistently hear are the same. It's as if nothing has changed, as if nothing works. So it's in their interest to do it, but we are a narrative change organization. So you did a research which was titled How African Media Covers Africa. So I'll actually just want to turn that into a question. So how does African media cover Africa? What are some of the highlights uh, from this report? Yeah, I I think the important thing was that we decided to look at ourselves first because I think there's this belief that it's global media outlets, it's CNNs, it's you know, it's everybody else. They cover Africa in a very sort of ne- negative, stereotypical way. So we decided to look at what Africa itself does um, because what we realized is that if you are sitting in Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, you're probably reading a Kenyan, Nigerian or South African newspaper or listening to an outlet that's local. That's where most people get their news. So the idea was to see, so what are Africans learning about each other? And the results were actually quite, you know, frightening, um, really. There, there were three big insights that the research gave us. One, that the sources of news on Africa continue to be an issue. The nature of the content that people are reading about other African countries within the continent is really feeding the stereotype. And the third insight was that the quality of journalism when it comes to stories on Africa is really concerning. And I can go into each of those areas, but the the, the big thing for me, um, and the big eye-opener for me was that more than a third, and actually more, and I'll explain why, more than a third of the stories that Africans read about other African countries comes from Western sources. And there's obvious reasons for that. You know, you can, you know, if you're a media outlet in, you know, South Africa, you will not have a correspondent in the other 53 countries in Africa. It's incredibly expensive. So you're reliant on news from global news outlets. Um, What we also realized that even where countries were trying to cover news themselves, and we, we had a bunch of stories that we analyzed, and they were bylined by local journalists. 
what we found was that journalists was invariably sitting, listening to a BBC report and typing up their story based uh-huh. on, you know, and, and, you know, international outlets. So the figure I'm getting about a third is what we know of, but there's it's a lot more than that. And the thing is for us is that how do you change the narrative when you are not even holding the pen? You know, uh-huh. the, the global media outlets look at the continent, the stories they cover. We can't change the nature of news because news tends to be hard by definition. You know, when you're covering the world, you want the hard stories. You know, if it bleeds, it bleeds. And what we realize is that that is what Africans are reading about each other because that's the only news that is available. Uh Um, And in fact, it was 81% of the stories that we analyzed in this report was defined as hard news and largely political in nature. Very, very few soft news stories about other countries. So something like 7% human interest story, 4% on arts and culture. That's, so if you think about it, you know, I can tell you, you know, about the Zambian elections, but I couldn't tell you what Zambian has for breakfast. So you, you talk about shifting the narrative. And I think my question is, you know, why is storytelling, uh, you know, changing narratives, why is that important? What are the real life concerns that have to be addressed or can be addressed by shifting how stories are told. I think it's important for people to know that there is an implication to narrative. There is an impact to narrative. First of all, narratives are derived from stories. It's a series of stories that people tell over time. We know, for example, when we did analysis, when we first started, that there are persistent frames about Africa it's the poverty frame, it's the corruption blame frame, poor leadership, conflict and disease. These are the five evil horsemen of Africa that seem to belabor us wherever we go. Those sort of frames where every time Africa or an African country is mentioned in that context have led us to understand that there's certain narrative. One is that Africa is broken. Africa is dependent because everybody's rushing to help us. The third one, which I think is worrying, is that Africans lack agency. We don't even know how to come out of this situation. So those are the narratives. If you think about the impact of those narratives on investment in business in Africa, it makes a difference about what countries, I mean, so what big global businesses come and invest in the country, because if they believe it's conflict, if they believe there's poor leadership and there's corruption, it impacts on that. It also impacts on how young people on the continent feel. You know, I often talk about this, African dream, because people can identify what the American dream is, but Mm -hmm. then what is the African dream? The the, the impact of this constant narrative that there is basically no hope, that it's broken, you know, we're dependent, has an an impact on young people, how they think. I think that leads to a lot of the migration that we're seeing, and not the migration we're necessarily seeing on the news, where people are risking their lives and taking, getting votes. Young people just trying to get out just trying to get out yeah. um, of their own countries. It also has an implication yeah. on, you know, creativity and innovation, you know, because I think if you believe that your country, your continent is fundamentally broken, there's no hope, where, where's the creativity? Where's the innovation? You know, if there's nowhere to go, you'll pump your energy into where you are. And I feel that right now there's enough sort of negativity floating around about Africa for people to believe that, you know what, there's no point. And what about people who will push back and say, okay, well and good, there needs to be space for 
positive stories, but the reality is that most Africans in, live in situations that are perpetuated by, you know, corruption, uh, you know, autocracy, uh, you know, vile, state violence, and those stories are equally as, as important and they should not be underplayed. So I absolutely agree with you. I do want to correct you that we are not a good news or positive news campaign for Africa because that belittles the problems, the very real problems that you've just discussed and the continent still has. But what we have become and what we are trying to challenge is that we have become this single story of poverty and corruption and conflict and, poverty and, and disease. And we are more than that. Because in those countries where people are victims of, of any of those things, corruption or living in poverty, there are people who are living relatively good lives, who are, you know, I guess, middle-class people who are investing in business, who are trying to grow business, who are surviving. And, you know, the one thing that I feel is a bit of a challenge for me sometimes is that we have sold the world this one vision of what prosperity looks like. And it is the American dream. You know, I remember once very vividly sitting in front of this young guy from Uganda who was working in the development space. And he said that he grew up happy. He said it was only years later, years, years later, when somebody said to him that you grew up in poverty, that he realized that the life he was living was one that the world considered to be one of poverty. You know, we cannot live like Americans. Even the vision that we see on television of the UK and Europe, it's not the full picture. There is the other side. There are people living in poverty in those sides. But the single story of America is that it's the place, right? The single story of, of, of Europe, these rich countries, there is the place. I don't like our single story, right? I think we are more nuanced than that. What we are trying to do is say that, balance it out a bit. You know, there's a lot of, in fact, somebody recently just sent me this link to this, this new news platform that basically covers all the humanitarian crises in Nigeria. That is what it was set up to do, right? Mm. And I look at it and I think, okay, that's great. But another one? Yet another one, I would love to get an email from somebody saying, here is a, a, a platform that purely just talks about all the positive things, all the progressive things, all the other things. And I call them the alternative stories because they're not necessarily good news. You know, we're not expecting people to jump up and down, but we're narrating the progress we've made because we have come a long way. And I think we equally need to focus and prioritize those stories because right now they're not being prioritized. Global media doesn't cover it. And what we've seen from this report, African media doesn't cover it. So who is going to cover it? Interesting. So uh, another fascinating aspect in the report uh, is the election coverage in Africa. Now you talk about how the reporting centers um, on the main players, uh, the electoral commission, the government, but not citizens. Um, so how would an election focused on citizens are not people running for office or running the election look like? Okay, I think there's two things. In the report, we talk about the fact that a lot of the coverage um, in that 81% of hard news was around political um, coverage and elections. And often it bubbled up into everybody's psyche when there was violence associated with it or some sort of conflict or the two people the two people who were running were really um, at each other. So the stories of elections always seem to be coated in this sort of negativity because it was always seen as not um, this is um, democracy at play, but somehow this is Africa being, you know, corrupt, 
um, political violence, you know, conflict. It, it's the way the story is told. What we did realize, though, and this was in the coverage of NSAS. Well, the protests against police violence uh, in Nigeria. Exactly. A youth-driven one. And then there was a time when the government came out and started shooting and young people died. And what we realized in that coverage is that there were very, very, very few voices of ordinary citizens in the coverage. So the stories that Africans were reading about each other, it was always about the leaders. So in that NSAR story, it was Buhari, you know, President Buhari that was quoted. It was the governor of Lagos State that was covered. It was the police officers. The journalists, if they covered them, these stories, were not going to speak to speak to young people. But that was something that we found in the nature of the stories. And that's where we talk about the quality of journalism in the stories that we analyze about other African countries. There was very little context. You know, it was, it was what seems black and white. And these stories are nuanced. And this is where I talk about, you know, we can, African Filter is not going to shut down an NSAR story because it shows that, you know, Nigerian um, government was shooting its young people. I feel that there's another way of telling that same story. And that's what we're trying to get people to realize that you can do your hard news reporting. But think about the narrative you're feeding so that NSAR story to us could be told through the lens of young people in Africa having agency, as opposed to this story of, conflict in Nigeria. Same story, throw, told through a different lens. I kind of want to uh, read out a quote from uh, one of your uh, recent articles uh, about uh, you know how to improve election coverage in Africa. And you say uh, it's time for more nuanced and contextualized reporting on Africa mm-hmm. elections as the current framing does a disservice to the process of democracy. And one of the things that I was just thinking about uh, reading that uh, is I kind of felt like you, you're saying that their reporting does harm. You know, there's certain type of reporting that harms democracy. I don't know whether you can just talk a little bit about what these harms could be. Well, I think if you look at the way a lot of the coverage is, is happening, it, 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 it's almost implying that Africans, we don't know how to do democracy, that we don't, you know, that somehow we're not getting it right, as if elections are supposed to be smooth. And what we're saying is that we're coming from a continent of an incredible number of young people. And the fact that a lot of these elections that we've been seeing recently are closely contested is great because people are going out to vote. It's closely contested because young people are trying to create some sort of change. And that's what we want, because this narrative of Africans lacking agency is something we don't want. So we want hotly contested um, elections. That's what democracy is about. It's it's a man, one man, one vote. So the way it's been covered as if, look, this stuff is bad. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's conflict. It's, it's, you know, the way it's covered, the, the, the whole framing around it implies that this is not democracy at play, that somehow it's something else. And what we are saying, it's exactly democracy. It's the way it should be. It should be hotly contested. Um, Interesting. And, yeah. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, so, you know, the Zambia elections, you know, in the article, I gave examples of the way they had, you know, forecast doom and gloom and disaster. And what actually happened was a peaceful handover. You know, so, you know, again, it's this, you know, you, you start off with a lens through which you want to tell the story. And that's what we found. There is a lens through which global media want to tell the story of elections in Africa. And we want that to change. We need more nuanced stories to understand the issues as to why is this hardly contested? 
you know, why, you know, there's just more to it. Whereas if you just go for the simple, "Mm, yeah, okay, well, it's Africans fighting each other again, you know, and that's what we're seeing. Then you get the same narrative, you know, it's like, you know, we don't know how to do democracy. It's not working. It is working. It's working in an African way. And and so what what are some of the uh, uh, kind of the, the positives and the opportunities um, that that actually uh, you saw from just doing the uh, uh, the research? Right. You know, alongside the report, we did have some focus groups with a number of editors. I think it was about 26 editors of African outlets um, on the continent. And what they said was they wanted more and better content because some of them were not aware of the stories they were putting out that it was this constant drip drip of this sort of hard news and negative storytelling a lot of them weren't actually aware which was what it was actually a good exercise we did and they wanted more and better and it came back to this thing that well actually you know what we don't have the funding to do this because how do we cover africa so there were discussions around like you know can we syndicate news you know like you're the editor of the newspaper in botswana you're in in ghana how can we share news? But what we did, and this is where African thought we try and use our research to take action, to inform our strategies. So we launched a service called BIRD. BIRD is like Reuters, it's like AP, but it does exactly the stories that they don't cover. So all of our stories are human interest stories, feature-driven stories, mm-hmm. um, stories that highlight Africa. We have contributors, a bunch of contrib- contributors from across Africa, who we pay money to. They're like our stringers. Um, They supply stories and we have a newsroom that processes those stories. And what we are trying to do is say, you know what, we know there's a cost to creating good content. We know there's an opportunity for digital platforms because a lot of African outlets are still quite traditional in their focusing on print because that's where the advertising revenue comes from. Mm -hmm. We are producing multimedia content on African countries or, or Af- on stories. In fact, I try not to say African because everyone thinks, okay, well, you know, what's it? It's a good story. That's what mm-hmm. we're saying. We're producing mm-hmm. good stories and it's free. So right now we've got about 31, you know, media outlets who have signed up taking stories. We put out four stories a day um, and, you know, we're seeing real progress. And what, what's particularly interesting is that the, the, new, the stories from our newsroom where there might be an announcement and, you know, we actually take the big global announcement and we analyze the African data in it and we look at what's happening in Africa, you know, and we put that out. So a lot of our Pan-African stuff is being picked up, you know, what's Africa is using it. So, you know, there is a solution. The good news is that slowly we need to change the nature of the newsrooms because what we realized through this exercise is that contributors and the journalists that we're working with, they come out of journalism school with a skill set of how to cover hard news. That is what they know. The soft storytelling aspect, how do you tell the story from a different angle? How do you, you know, it's not the who, what, where, when and why. We need that, but you do it in a different way. A lot of journalists are not trained to do that quality of the content we've been getting has been quite concerning but you know we're processing the story and we're you know you know I've just actually done another grant to uh, to the Thompson Foundation to develop a storytelling course how to tell great stories because mm-hmm. that you know, filter actually we're about storytelling our theory of change is that the only way you can shift narratives is to understand how narratives evolve narratives evolve over time through persistent stories that feed particular stereotypes, right? So if you want to change the narrative, you've got to introduce 
different types of stories. And that's exactly what we do. So we need to get better stories, more nuanced stories, more compelling stories written about Africa. And that's how you change narratives. So, so that's what we're doing. So, so for me, the good news is that this report reflected us back to ourselves, which I think was really important. We needed to know this. And the second piece that has given us a window to launch a service called BIRD that is addressing the key need we've identified in this. And ultimately, it's become a, a paying gig for, for media, um, for journalists on the continent. And we're hoping, to, we're hoping to connect the continent because we're now giving African stories about Africa, which they never had before beyond, you know, hard news and, and, and largely politics and elections. So there's a lot of good news, I think. People listening to this curious about, uh, you know, kind of the agency you've just created. Is, is, it, is it accessible to the public or is, it, is this just locked to the local media? Well, you know, we've set ourselves up not as a competitor okay. to media. Our role is to support media. The biggest single cost media outlets have is creating content. To a certain extent, we're subsidizing this by creating this content. So what we don't want to do is not put it out there to compete with ourselves. So you have to be, you have to subscribe. And it doesn't cost you anything. You just have to be a media outlet. And we're also hoping to target, you know, individual news influencers, you know, people who are putting out content. They may not be an established brand because we are beginning to understand that, you know, how people are accessing their news is not in the traditional way. You know, nobody's going out to buy a newspaper or necessarily tuning into the BBC. They're getting it on social media. That social media, that piece of news could come from a news influencer who got it from someone who got it from the BBC. So we're also trying to target alternative news sources um, as opposed to just the traditional media outlets. But essentially to get it, you have to be a media outlet. What's kind of your insight about how influencers compare to a mainstream uh, news organization when it comes to telling quote unquote the Africa story? Well, you know, we haven't done any research on, you know, specifically influences, news influences, but it's a big area of interest for us. And in fact, I do want us to do something. You know, but we had a um a webinar, you know, not that long ago, and it was on on basically, you know, how Africa's covered. We actually had a young Tanzanian American girl who is a news influencer. So I asked her she's on TikTok. She puts out these little snippets of news. Um, she had a million followers. She had, I think the most likes on one news thing was one news piece she put out was 2 million likes. You know, so that's the nature of what we are dealing with in that there is a lot of alternative news sources that people are tapping into. Um, and, you know, this lady's name is Marie Mbulu. Um, I think I can't remember the name of her actual um, platform, but she's on TikTok. Young girl, we had her on. She says, oh, she just decides, she puts out news that she likes. I mean, she's bigger than, you know, some of the newspaper outlets mm -hmm. in Tanzania. Um, not a trained journalist, but she, in fact, she says she puts out good news. So it's people like that. We're trying to identify more of them because we, we are not the platform. We don't want to be the platform. People like her are the platform. They have incredible following. They've already established a brand. We need to give them the content that they can use. Um, so that's how I see Bird and African Filters' role as well as we try and be an enabler. You know, we, we, we give grants to media outlets um, to try and develop content that's sort of more in line with what we want to see that's narrative shifting. We give funds to artists and storytellers because we have this fundamental belief that 
artists have a critical role in creating conversations around um, around topics. Um, and, and the example I'll give is that recently there was a, there's a sculptor, Zimbabwean sculptor, who did a, a stone sculpture of a, of a, of a half a person with a vaccine, taking a vaccine. And it was just yeah, I saw that. A, yeah, a topical moment, a lot of engagement on it because it was art interpreting an issue, right? It was, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we give artists money to find ways to, you know, to, change the narrative in their community, in their country. So there's a lot we're doing um, and we're trying to be the alternative grant maker in Africa. So, you know, looking for news influencers, whereas most media funders are going to the nation, they're going to the BBC, they go, you know, we're trying to avoid, you know, that because I think there are other bigger players who are doing that. And we're looking for, you know, just, you know, I guess we, we can take more risk um, and we're close to the ground. We give out smaller grants. So there's a lot we can do. This interview is part of a 10-part special series about how the media in Africa covers politics, governance, elections, and the impact this has on democracy on the continent. If you want to subscribe to my podcast, just search for the Dickens Olewe podcast on any of the main podcast apps. Let me know what you think about the series. Reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.